Shalom, shalom, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Pulse of Israel here in our eternal and ancestral homeland, the land of Israel. Today, I am in the beautiful hills of Beit Shemesh with a very special guest, an old friend, an old chanich. Wow, that takes us back a long time. I know Hillel fold very well. Hillel is known very well as the top high-tech marketer for Israel, for the state of Israel, for the high-tech market in Israel. Hillel, why don't you, how do you give, give your spiel? Who are you? What do you do? Why is your voice so sought after one nowadays? How long do we have here? <laughs> I have all the time you need, Hillel. Um, you know, listen, I'd like to take credit for anything I can. Uh, first of all, I mean, obviously, as religious Jews, we know it's, it's not in our hands. But the truth is, I mean, I'm a guy who just loved tech. Like, that's it. Really, I'm not, I mean, you could think I'm oversimplifying, but I'm not. I'm just a guy who loved tech and uh, ignored all the business advice in the early days. Everyone's like, you know, make money this way, make money that way. I'm like, leave me alone. Like, I love tech. I'm going to start writing about tech. That's all I've ever done, written about tech. Um, and as a result of my writing, you know, today we call it blogging. That wasn't a word when I started. Uh, entrepreneurs start to reach out and meet with them. And I realized that, generally speaking, obviously this is a generalization, Israeli entrepreneurs are very good at building tech. They're very bad at building businesses. You know, so I'd sit with these entrepreneurs and I'd say, so tell me what you do. And they'd answer me, not what they do, but what they built. I've developed an algorithm. I'm like, dude, stop with your algorithm. What do you do? They're like, I don't understand what you're asking me. I'm like, what value do you bring to this universe? Like, I don't care about your algorithm. They had no clue what I wanted from them. So I'd start to help them with their pitch. And then I'd say to them, you know, who are your competitors? We have none. I'm like, you're a fool. Of course you have competitors, right? So I, I would help these guys over lunch, not for money. I had a job. Um, and it turns out being a mensch and being a friar, as we call it in Hebrew, is the best business model in the world because... Everyone around me was basically saying to startups, pay me and I'll do something. And I'm like, let me help. I didn't ask for anything. And then when you, first of all, when you do that, you fundamentally differentiate yourself from everyone else. But also you, you, you deliver first, as opposed to everyone else who's promising and maybe delivering, I'm delivering. And so a lot of these companies came back to me and said, listen, you know, you helped us early on. And I'm like, remind me, like I know what you're talking about. So I joined these companies as, you know, we call it as an advisor, call it whatever you want, but I help them grow. I mean, I help them with PR, social media, content marketing, business development, fundraising, whatever they need. Uh, and that's my, my business model, right? Um, in addition to that, we all wear a lot of different hats today. I, I produce a lot of content, a lot of content. Um, you know, written content, I write for every, basically every leading publication in the tech world because what I realize is they all need, they all need content. That's their product, right? I need readers. So like, you know, if I write a column on Inc. Magazine about advice for entrepreneurs, it gets 20 million readers, it's win-win, right? And then about five years ago, I found myself in Silicon Valley and I noticed a fascinating phenomenon. Uh, everyone knows Israeli tech. Everyone was talking to me about Waze and Mobileye and Wix. Everyone knew every single company. Not a single person that I asked in Silicon Valley, not one person could name one Israeli founder. It was unbelievable. Wow. I mean, you know Waze, right? Yeah. Who founded Waze? I have no clue. Right? Isn't that unbelievable? Who founded Facebook? Zuckerberg. Right? Who founded Tesla? Right? Everybody knows Israeli founders. I mean, American founders. No one knows Israeli founders. Wow. I'm like, okay, I meet these people anyway. I'm going to come to the meeting with a camera. So I started this vlog and, you know, I think I'm episode 450 now. I've done probably 1,200 interviews. Um, but none of my content is a business. I don't monetize it in any way. Uh, so that's the second thing is content. The third thing is a bunch of public speaking. We were just talking about this. Um, not because I'm some kind of you know, rock star, but because, again, it all comes back to being a quote-unquote friar. Because I'm helping companies for free, my inbox looks like World War III, right? Everyone wants to, you know, not because I'm, because I'm doing it for free. So a lot of people reach out from everywhere and say, you know, they say to me, listen, you know, you see all these companies, I'd love to, they'd love to hear how Israel became this technology superpower. So I speak everywhere. Um, so that's the, the third kind of hat. And then the final hat, which, I mean, I don't know, it's the most ridiculous because again, context, I, I started writing about tech. That's literally all I've ever done, right? So Google reaches out and they say, you know, we have this program called Google Developer Experts where we bring experts into headquarters once a year, you know, experts in engineering, experts in UI, UX, and in marketing. We want you to be part of that program. I'm like, sure you mean me? I'm like, what did I ever do in my life? So I joined them and then Oracle called. They have this also this startup advisory board and, you know, Microsoft and Huawei and all these multinationals. They have these, uh, I, I am allergic to the following word that I'm about to use, but we've the, no choice. There's other words to use influencer program, uh -huh. like that word. Like who doesn't have influence, right? Everyone's an influencer, but anyway, it's a topic for another time. So I work with these multinationals as an influencer. Um, they all call it something else, it's all the same stuff. But basically, I mean, you know, I'm a kid in a candy store. I'm, I'm, I wake up every day and I'm like, how am I being paid to just play every day, you know? 
you know, I don't know who said it, but when you love what you do, you never work a day in your life, right? So, so yeah, I mean, again, it all started from that, that, that first day at my first job where I was bored out of my mind. I started writing about tech, and the rest is history. That's my spiel. So what's, there's a reason I wanted to sit down and, and, and interview you. Because it wasn't because was of my good looks? It was because of the beard. There you go. Like yeah, that, I, I beard envy, but I'm never going to have a beard. No, folks. This is a, this is a source of, uh, of tension in the house, but all right, whatever. <laughs> See how long I, I can pull it off. I didn't mean to go there. <laughs> no, but there, there's two main, two main stories that I believed were inspirational about, inspiring about your story that I wanted people to hear. One and we'll touch upon this afterwards, is there are plenty of marketers in Israel. Plenty of marketers, plenty of good marketers. But there is something that I believe has set you apart, which it's not just your love of tech, but it's your love and passion for Israel. And then you just became like a powerhouse because you had those two passions together and, and, and you just flew. So I want to touch that upon that in a second. But before that, it's also because... Like you said yourself, you're a kid in a candy store. And like, how did I get here? It's just your personal story. You studied poli-sci, right? Yep. You didn't study marketing. And I, and I remember when you were in your first jobs also, before you got into the, the tech and tech writing uh, profession. And even with that, you've made something of yourself big time. And I, and, and I like to tell this story and I like to tell it to people every once in a while because it's advice that I was giving a lot of people back then. We were in synagogue. You were visiting your brother Ari. We sit next to each other in, in shul. And this must have been, was it 2008? It's when you were looking for a new job? Sounds probably. about right. And, uh, and I remember we, we, we said, hi, how you, how's it going? What's up? And you said, yeah, you're looking for a new job. And at the time, I, I was an organizational psychologist. I said, listen. And you told me, what do you, I asked, what are you passionate about? You say, you're passionate about tech. Like start writing about it. Did you really and start, did? Yes, start. and I'm like, and start interviewing. So you're saying that I owe you everything. Uh, you don't even owe me anything. I'm a fryer too. You don't mean that. But I specifically said, start writing about tech, blogging about tech, and in, reach out to the influencers so that one, they're going to be happy to give you, give you their time, like you're helping them get exposure, and then all of a sudden you're developing your old, your Rolodex, and they start knowing you, and. It gives me personal satisfaction that you ran with it. I'm sure other people gave you similar advice. It's not just me. But that, that advice helped you really develop and help you become who you became today. So give me a little of the backstory then. What, what would you tell other people? Live your passion. How, what's your advice of how you made it for yourself and uh, help others? So I'll tell you a story to answer the question. So about, um, I want to say maybe six or seven years ago. When did COVID start? Four? Three, four years ago? How long ago? <laughs> Three years ago? Three years. This was about five years ago. I get a, an email from a US-based college that I have never done anything with. I didn't go there. I don't know anyone who went there. I have no connection to them. And they reached out and they're like, we want you to be our commencement speaker. And I'm like, what? I'm like, who do you think I am, Bill Gates? Like, what are you talking about, commencement speaker? Like, yeah, we want you to come speak at the, uh, the MBA graduation. I'm like, you realize I have a BA in political science. Like, what are you even talking about? I'm like, let me think about this. And you know, I said to myself, you know what? That is the topic. I'm gonna get up there. I'm gonna tell them, guys, you're getting your, I'm some ran, so I got up there, you know. And wait, wait, I'm some random dude, that's what you were about to say. So, so I'm gonna tell so I got up there and I, guys, I said, listen guys, you're finishing your MBA right now. Whatever it is you're passionate about, I don't care how unrealistic your dream is, the fact that I'm standing here right now giving you guys a commencement speech, if that doesn't prove to you that you can do whatever the heck you want, if you go all in on your passion, then nothing will prove it to you. Like, I'm nobody, I'm just a guy, you know? And so that, that's the message. At the end of the day, like I said before, everyone and their mother was giving me advice. Everyone's monetized this way, take 5% from startups. And I'm like, I had a job, it wasn't a job for me. And the irony of it is, is that if I would have planned how to turn this into a business, chances are it wouldn't have worked, right? right? So, so the point is, I just went all in on my passion, and I mean all in. Uh, invested a lot of time. Don't don't you know? I'm not belittling it. This is while you were still working as yeah. a full time job. Yeah. Right? No, that's important. It, it is interesting because after that, tech, my first job was a technical writer writing user guides, which I would not recommend to any person with ADHD <laughs> to do that. I'm saying, like, how did you even survive yeah. that? So uh, it's, it's a funny story in and of itself. Maybe we'll talk about it. But um, so after that, I went into like finance and whatever. And then I remember someone came to meet me. It was in Roshani, and then someone came to me and they said, "What on earth are you doing in finance? Come work in tech." So I joined this company uh, as the head of, head of marketing, and literally within about, I'd say two, three months, they hired me as head of marketing. Within two, three months, after seeing that I'm meeting all these entrepreneurs for lunch and whatever, the CEO actually changed my title in the organization from head of marketing to senior evangelist. And I became, I, it's a funny word, but like that was my job. From now on, from that time, on my business card, literally, uh, I became this person who meets startups and who does marketing through 
for lack of a better term, value creation, right? And so, you know, at the end of the day, you talk about interviews, but, you know, to take a step up, um, I think that, again, you know, there are words in English that don't exist in Hebrew, there are words in Hebrew that don't exist in English. This is a word that does not exist in English, which is firgun. Let's call it giving props, right? When I interview people, when I do features on people, when I do make lists of people, I'm giving other people a stage. I'm not talking about myself, right? Now, most people, most marketers, most companies talk about themselves. Oh, we're the best in the world. I'll tell you an amazing story about that in a minute. But I, I spend my time promoting others. But what ends up happening is when I'm promoting someone else, I'll give you an example. I do these features. Every day I do a feature on social media. Yeah. Here's this person. They're so amazing. Now, there are two things that those 600 people have in common. I've done whatever, 560 of them. Two things that they all have in common. One, they're all amazing. And I, it's, it's true. They're all amazing for whatever reason. They've done something amazing on amazing people. The second thing they all have in common, they're all standing next to me in the picture. So what does that say about me, right? So instead of me saying, I'm so amazing, I'm saying, they're so amazing. By the way, by association, I'm so amazing. I don't say it, but the conclusion, right? Um, and so that's all I've really ever done. I've, I've written about content. I've written about tech, I'm sorry. And I've, and I've given other people a stage. Uh, just a really quick story that I heard recently. That I've but before your story, the other thing you always throw in, which I, I like, I love, because that's my perspective as well. You always also, also say, and I'm, I'm the dumbest one in the yeah, room. Yeah, no, 100%. Like, for me to, for me to work with someone, like, I can't... I can't be. I can't be in a room with people where where they where I'm the smartest guy in the room. Like then I'm not growing, right? So nothing makes me happier than when I'm with, like in a room with like these scientists who are like I just joined the company as an advisor that that scans your retina and gives you a two minute diagnosis of your chances of getting diabetes. Like these guys, I mean, literal magicians, right? But they're 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 scientists, right? So I, I'm in that room. I'm like my. I mean, I lower the average of intelligence in the room by you know, but I but I bring to the table the things that I do that right. it's not their world. So I, that's for sure. But just a really quick story, I think you'll enjoy this. It, uh, I heard this recently that a guy, um, it's his parents' 50th anniversary and he's getting ready to go to the event and it's a half an hour drive from his house, gets in his tuxedo, and he leaves an hour and a half before, he's good on timing, and he opens his garage door and it's pouring rain outside. So he gets in his car, he's like, I'll drive slowly, starts driving, 10 minutes in, he blows a tire. He's like, I'm not gonna get out and change a tire, now I'm in a tuxedo. So he calls a tow truck, right? So he's waiting there, it takes a half hour for the tow truck to come. The tow truck comes and, and the, the, the guy walks over to his window. He says, sir, did you order a tow truck? And he says, yeah. He says, you made the best decision. You are so lucky that you hired us. We are the best towing company in America. He says, that vehicle that we're about to tow you with, that is a vehicle that we, we took five years to build. We custom built it with Chevrolet. And those tires, those tires are custom. And he's going on and on. This guy's sitting in his car thinking to himself like, dude, get me on the road. Like, I don't care about your freaking tires, right? That's scenario one. Scenario two, same guy walks over to the window. He says, sir, did you order a, a tow truck? He says, yeah. He says, great. Our motto is we get you on the road in 15 minutes. That's it. Which one of those two is this guy going to remember? Which one of those two, right? The first guy's talking about himself. The second guy's talking about you, right? So that's marketing. At the end of the day, figure out what you can do for the person. And, you know, while you, you said something in the beginning that I, that I I'm going to push back a little on. You said there are a lot of marketers in Israel. I think, you know, the difference between sales and marketing, fundamental difference, right? Both sales and marketing need to sell something at the end. So what's the fundamental difference? In my opinion, the fundamental difference. Not, there's tactical differences. One's short-term, one's long-term. The fundamental difference, in my, in my kind of view, is one word. And that one word does not exist in Hebrew. Subtlety. Right? Yeah. If you're a good salesman, I know you're selling to me. That's fine. If you're a good marketer, I don't even know that I'm being marketed to. Right? It's about saying something without saying it. Now, the word subtlety doesn't exist in Hebrew for a reason. Right? We don't, so we're not very subtle people here. And so there are some marketers. Don't get me wrong, but I would say for every one engineer there is in Israel, or I should say for every one marketer there is in Israel, there's about easily 100 engineers. So there's not that many world-class, I'm not saying I'm a world-class, but I'm saying there are not that many world-class marketers in this country. Um, you know, there are some, and there are some amazing companies here, but uh, at the end of the day, you know, I've, I've fundamentally differentiated myself by just focusing on value versus me, me, me. I'm focusing on you, 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 right. and it works. Right. And by the way, and it's not karma. You know, that's another thing. Oh, it's great karma. Forget karma. I don't pay for groceries with karma. It's good business. Right. Period. Right. Right. And, and, and I think the, the most important thing, and you said this yourself, it's not just about it being, you're not doing it because it's good business. You're doing it because you honestly, that, that's where your passion lies yeah. in terms of helping people. And for those who don't know, and this is also super, so important, because of your connections and your knowledge of the high-tech world in Israel, you are constantly helping people find jobs. And you don't take a percentage for helping people find jobs. You're doing that because you're taking advantage of your position and relationships and using that to help others. That's a totally inspiring story. I mean, 
again, love to pretend I'm some kind of like Robin Hood, but at the end of the day, you know, when people say to me, why do you do whatever you, why do you do this? I'm like, why would I not? You know, if I'm meeting someone, I'll give you a story. It's a true story that just happened, okay? Um, a good, good friend of mine, obviously shall remain unnamed, serious dude, worked as a CFO for 30 years in America, great career, moved to Israel, gave up on everything. And he's not young, not, not 80, but he's not young, couldn't find a job. American, he couldn't find a job. So he was looking for a job for a long time. I got a, he got a couple of like uh, temporary, but he, he needed a job. And I think it was like two or three years he was looking. And you know, as a result, obviously there's a lot of pressure on the family. It's not easy, right? So he would remind me every so often, I'm still looking, I'm still looking. And so one day about, I don't know, maybe a year and a half ago, he writes me and says, by the way, hello, I'm still looking. Two days later, again, I'm, it's, what did I do? I didn't do anything. Two days later, someone reaches out to me, a guy who I know, I worked with in the States, runs a public company, says, I'm looking for a CFO and I'd love to hire someone in Israel. Connected them, hired him. Thursday, he, this, the, the boss, the guy who hired him, writes on my LinkedIn. He goes, because I wrote this post about getting people jobs. He wrote, you, you can't even imagine, he's the biggest asset to the company. So like, okay, great, Hillel's, like, what did I do? I sent an email. Uh, okay, so I, I put myself in a place that I meet people, but at the end of the day, I'm meeting someone who's looking for a job. I take their CV and I put it on my Google Drive. It takes me 12 seconds. A company's hiring marketing. I give them a marketing CV. They hire him, right? The company's happy. The person's happy. Did I lose anything? I lost, what, an email? It takes me four seconds, right? So, you know, we've all heard the analogy, but to me, this is everything. Right? Business is a candle. You, you give your fire, you lose nothing, right? A candle doesn't lose anything that gives its fire. So if I could help people get jobs, why would I not? And people say, you just take money. I'm like, what are you even, dude, what are you talking about? Do you know what? Do you know what kind of feeling it is to get an email from someone's son saying, don't tell my father I told you this, but you have no idea how much you saved our family. Wow. Like, I would take money for that? That's nuts. Wow. So, you know, I'm, I'm just fortunate. And again, I, I said this the other day, I have a very close friend, uh, Shaul Nakash, the Nakash family, a famous family. Um, and he, you know, he owns many hotels and he owns, he's just whatever. I said, he keeps like hooking me up. And I said to him, Shaul, I'm like, I, I'm not comfortable on the receiving end. I'm like, can I do something for you? These are billionaires. There's nothing I can do for him. So I said, there's gotta be something I can do for you. You know what he says to me? Two things, both of them hit home. First thing he said, which was just beautiful, he says, everything I do for you is me returning the favor for everything the Fold family has done for Amisro. Wow. Isn't that beautiful? And the second thing he said to me, which I found, which I, I've adopted, I use all the time, is he said to me, I'm just fortunate I'm able to help, which is such a trivial, like nothing, but if you think about it, this guy grew up with billions of dollars and he, he feels fortunate to be able to help. And so if I could help a person get a job, I'm, I'm the luckiest person in the world. I can help someone get a job. And again, I'm not spending hours on this. It takes me four seconds. Yeah. So, so, so when people say why, I say why would I not? That's really what it comes down to. Right. No, 100%. And again, I, I, the, the important thing is, one, people should be inspired by your story. And two, by how you just naturally look at your situation and just doing what you naturally think you could be doing with the situation that God has given you. So I'll, I'll, I'll be very vulnerable with you right now. Yeah, go ahead. I talked to my therapist about this. Okay, this is a, it's, a, it's an interesting discussion to have. I always, since I'm a kid, I struggled with a very basic concept. And this, this is the concept. And this, this is something I struggle with till today. If I'm on a bus, right, and an old lady gets on a bus, and I stand up for her, do I get reward for that in Shemaim? And, and when I die after 120 years, can God say, you stood up for that woman on the bus? I didn't make that decision. I was brought up in a way that if I don't stand up, I'm gonna feel like I gotta, I feel cringy. I can't not get up. So how do I get reward for something I'm not even choosing to do? And so I feel the same with my career. Like, again, like this stuff, did I study how to become, you know, X, Y, and Z? No, I just did it because I was good at it and I love it. And so it, it's, it's, I'm being full, it's strange to me that companies pay me to do this stuff. Cause I would, if, if, if starting to blog 15, whatever years ago, hadn't led to my career, I would have done nothing differently. I would have continued to blog because that's what I loved, right? So the fact that it's turned into a career, on the one hand, I feel super fortunate. On the other hand, I feel super like, you know, imposter syndrome. It's like, who the heck am I? I just heard recently, I don't know if you, I talk about this story a lot because I love it. A guy was at a, a party with like top celebrities. He's standing on the side of the room. He's like, the heck am I doing here? Like these The celebrity was saying that? This is your thing? No, no, no. A guy was at a, at a party with celebrities and he's, he's standing on the side of the room thinking to himself, oh, okay. what am I doing here? Why was I even invited to this party? This is crazy. And he's standing next to some other guy on the side of the room and he says to the guy, he's like, I think I was invited by accident. Like it was a mistake. They didn't mean to invite him. Nobody, what am I doing here? And the other guy says to him, same thing. He's like, I don't know what I'm doing here. This is crazy. He's like, yeah, you know what? At least we, we're not alone. We both feel this, uh, whatever. He goes, oh, by the way, my name is David. What's your name? Neil Armstrong. Right? Everyone has imposter syndrome. That's the truth. But I, I really feel like how, how, like how did this all happen? You know? So just keep doing what I'm doing and hopefully, you know, play along until everyone realizes that I'm full of crap. I'm just kidding. <laughs>
<laughs> so now I want to touch upon the Israel component because it, w those of you who are not familiar, right, you're familiar, the, the tech world, the high tech world is not the most friendly environment for Israel. Even though Israeli tech is appreciated, um, not the most friendly environment of personalities in the tech world, which I'm sure you can get into more detail about. But yet you have managed to, again, harness both your passion for big tech and Israel and also cross barriers there in that world. Are you able to, to give us yeah. a little more into that? First of all, just to strengthen what you're saying, there are actual literal investors in Silicon Valley. Let's leave one, I mean, I'm gonna leave the names out, but big names, like top five investors in the world um, who are full-blown anti-Semites. Not, not, not like anti-Israel, like full-blown anti-Semites, like to the point that they've blocked every person on Twitter that are just Jewish. Like I've never said a word to the guy, he blocked me. Michael Eisenberg, what are you blocking Michael Eisenberg? He's a tech investor, blocked all the Jews. He's but he, he's invested in Israeli startups. Because to them, there's, it's a crazy thing. There's this like um, dissonance, or I don't know what you want to call it, between you know, Israel that's changing the world in all verticals of technology versus Israel that's murdering Palestinian women and children on the street. Like, and like my, my message to the world but is- the, For those of you not familiar, he's referring, he's referring to a lie, right? To that's a, just an important point. Yeah, yes. no, I'm saying like in their mind, there's two Israels, right. right? And so my underlying message, I think, in everything that I do is um, there's one Israel, stop it. Like, you're not gonna tell me that the people that are curing cancer are going, stop it, right? Uh, you know, uh, we're gonna talk about Ari, but Ari, you know, in a way that we were working in parallel universes because we both, I'm, I'm a tech guy, but that's a manifestation of my Zionism. Like, I'm not, you know, so I promote Israel through tech, but tech is a consensus, everyone loves tech. So me and Ari both promoted Israel. He did it in a way that's a little bit, a little more difficult and challenging. I did it in tech, but, um, you know, at the end of the day, I don't, uh, I don't, again, I don't take credit for it. Israeli tech is a story. I just tell the story, right? It's an amazing story. Um, and so, you know, I do go there sometimes when I can't, I can't, uh, you know, control myself. And I do talk about politics sometimes. Or I do talk about like Zionism or whatever it may be. But generally speaking, the people that follow me, follow me because of tech, uh, which I hopefully leverage or capitalize upon in a way that I, I, I leverage, let's call it my credibility, to actually open their eyes to some things. So last night I was speaking to a journalist at Business Insider, one of the top tech publications. She happens to be Jewish, and she occasionally will tweet something positive. And I wrote to her, I'm like, you know, I don't take it for granted at all. Like, she goes, well, I'm Jewish. I'm like, it doesn't make a difference. Like, there are many Jews who are not, you know? And so I've actually literally had a, a journalist, a top tech journalist, after years of helping her with stories and all kinds of stuff, one day I realized she blocked me on Twitter. So I emailed her, I'm like, Natasha, what in the world? Like, why? She goes, I got sick of your war tweets. That's what she says to me. Whoa. So yeah, listen. And, Wait, and in perspective, when Hillel's, when these war tweets are basically responding to the attacks Israel are under in the, in the media because Israeli soldiers are defending ourselves from the terror we're up against. And that's what she's calling war tweets. Yeah, and again, like, you know, on Friday or whenever it was, you know, a Palestinian guy tried to steal a soldier's weapon and attacked him and he shot the guy. So what, is, what do these crazy people do? They cut the video. They right. only show him shooting him, right? So I, well, I'm not gonna speak out. You know, and again, I trust me, I told you this before, the, the, the most pushback I get are from Jews, yeah. right? Because, you know, we could talk about this for hours, but, you know, we've always, in every um, place where the Jews lived throughout history, we always tried to out-America the Americans, out-Greek the Greeks, out-Nazi the Nazis, out-German the Germans, right? We, you know, we can try to put out our light. We can try to be like everyone else. It doesn't work. In fact, it's, a, it's an interesting correlation. You'd think there'd be an inverse correlation. The more we assimilate, the less people hate us. It's not, it doesn't work like that. The more we assimilate, the more we, you know, I, I wrote about this recently, I heard from a friend, I loved it. We're the lighthouse, right? We're the lighthouse, so they're the ships. They can't navigate the seas without us, right? So if our light goes out, they're lost, right? So when we try to assimilate, we try to be like them, Hitler's like, no, 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 no. He's like, you can try to assimilate. I know your mother's Jewish, and if it wasn't your mother, your grandmother's Jewish, and we're gonna go five generations back. I don't care how German you think you are. You know, in, in America right now, who are the most liberal? Who are the most, the Jews. So, you know, they can try, they, and, and the, the amazing thing is, like, these are intelligent people. Why are you not opening history books? Yeah. Are you that blind? Yeah. But they're blinded by their, their wealth. And so I'm, I'm, not, I'm not judging anyone. I, listen, do, you know, but, uh, but it's no, this is a very, No, it's very important. We were going to talk about this, so it's good you're going there. Cause, and and, and I'll, you, you touched upon this. I'll further go into it. It's interesting because many of the, 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 the trips, right, of taking teenagers or even adults to, to, to Poland or to Germany or whatever to learn about how Jewish life was was back before the Holocaust, and it's taking them to shtetls and to old villages. And then 
what many of us are not familiar with is the actual numbers of how many Jews back then, or the percentage of Jews back then, were actually connected to the Torah world, or sitting and learning in yeshivot, or connected to the religious world, as opposed to the vast percentage of Jews who had already assimilated, whether in Hungary, whether in Germany, whether in Poland. And then, because we're told, again, the narrative is, oh, we were targeted because we were different. And no, 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 folks. We were targeted because we out-Germaned the Germans. We out-Polished the Poles. And today we're out-American. Right. You know what's sadder than Jews going to the gas chambers? Jews go to the gas chambers who don't even know why they're going to the gas chambers. Yeah. Like, these people are like, what are you doing? I'm German. What do you want from me? You're not German. You're Jewish. You can't un-Jewish yourself. You know what I mean? So it's a sad thing. And it keeps repeating itself over and over again. And, you know, I wrote, I wrote recently something that I just thought was so beautiful. I, I've always struggled with the question, why? Like, why do they hate us? 20% of Nobel Prizes given to Jews. What are they, we're making the world a better place. Like, objectively, we are making the world a better place. Why do you hate us, right? And so I heard something that I just loved. And, and I don't know if this is, you know, the truth. I don't know if there is a truth. But, but I'm, not, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a logical guy. I'm a rational guy. And I, I yeah, you know, we know that, you know, the Torah says they'll always hate us. But I, can we, I need an explanation. I need some logic, okay? So he said like, he said like this. I, I think this is, there's a lot of truth to this. He says... If you look throughout history, when there was the highest rate of anti-Semitism, you'll, you'll notice that when there was the highest rate of anti-Semitism was when it was in societies with the lowest level of morality, yeah. right? Again, the Greek Empire, the Roman Empire, it was all about ego, me, 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 and then the anti-Semitism, right? Nazi Germany, I don't need to, right? So why is that? The answer is because these societies didn't want morality. They didn't want the old morality. They wanted a new morality, right? The isms, the individualism, the, everything, right? Communism, whatever. And so they said, we want to get rid of the old morality. Well, how do we get rid of old morality? Where did the old morality come from? From the Torah. So we can't kill God, so let's kill the messenger. You kill FedEx, you won't get your parcel. You kill the messenger of the message, we won't get morality. Now, what's going on in America right now? I mean, you know, it's like, it's, it's funny. It's politically incorrect to say that a man is a man. Yeah. Like, where the heck has morality gone? Yeah. You know? So America's like, I don't want morality. Get, get morality? It's old school, right? Now? A man could be a woman, a woman could be a man, a, a terrorist could be a freedom fighter, good is bad, bad is good, black is white, white is black, right? It's like, we don't want morality. Get rid of that Torah thing. Well, we can't get rid of the Torah. Kill the Jews. Right? I, I, I think it's a little bit of oversimplification, but I, I believe there's a lot of truth to that. But again, the, what I said before with the lighthouse and this is you'd think they're mutually exclusive, but they're actually not. Because on the one hand, they don't really want the morality. On the other hand, they do need that lighthouse. They do need to know if and when I do decide to go old school morality, I know where I'm going. Right. So if the Jews you know, um, cease to, to shine their light, I'm lost, right? right? So it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting paradigm. It's like, you know, on both ends. But it's a crazy thing what's going on, you know? Let me throw out this story as well. I heard from a survivor, and, um, and it touches upon all this, and, it's very, and, it, and, and this is so important for Jews to internalize, and I think you'll appreciate it as well. Survivor Auschwitz uh, wrote that in Auschwitz, I think it was Auschwitz, there were separate barracks for the religious, the outwardly religious Jews and the Jews who were not just not religious, they were anti-religious, right? They'd be the ones going to the Nazis and saying, hey, we hate the religious Jews we're like too. You. We're, like, we're you. like you, right? And what this uh, survivor was saying is that the Nazis treated the Jews who... who uh, Retreated themselves. Who? No, no, no. They treated the Jew. They treated the Jews who were true to themselves better than the Jews who were running away from right. their Jewish identity. Right. Exactly. 100%. They were much worse. And that's also. And I think this also dovetails with the message I think both of us put out there in terms of the Jewish people of the land of Israel. We're all about strengthening our Jewish identity, yeah. being proud of our Jewish identity, not running away from it. Our troubles grow. The more we have leaders and communities who try their, they want to be, they want to be more French and American and Italian and British. They don't want to be Jewish Israelis. Right. And if we only strengthen our Jewish identity, that would also lead to less of the hatred from within our own uh, area and, and, and from the world. You know, there's a, I'm sure you've heard of it, but there's, there's a global movement now against, against circumcision. It's the most immoral thing when you're mutilating the body, right? Who do you think leads, leads the movement? Oh, Jews. Jews? I went to Chorig with in high school. Kid you not, his grandfather was a huge, huge rabbi. I'm not going to obviously name names. Huge rabbi. My, my, my parents knew him. Like, and now this guy I went to high school with, grew up completely religious in, in Yerushalayim, in Jerusalem. 
now is, is leading a whole movement against their circumcision. Like, it's unbelievable. I mean, and his sister, by the way, sister, ironically, I don't know if it's a coincidence, is like the most anti-religious journalist in mainstream media in America. Like, again, you'd know the name for sure. I'm obviously going to leave it out, but I'm talking full-blown self-hating wow. Jew. Grew up in Jerusalem. So we're, like I said before, we're always out America. We're out, we're out liberal. We're out everybody. We can't. It doesn't work that way. Because here's the thing. You know, in, in our, to our credit, I'll say, we're good at whatever we do. Whatever we do, we lead. Unfortunately, we use that leadership, those leadership abilities and qualities to do bad things. And when we do bad things, the world's like, no, 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 no. You can't. We're not the same. And stop pretending you're the same because you pretend you're like me and then we hate you even more. Right. And then they use it and they don't use it against, oh, it's an individual Jew who's made it. They use it against the generalizing against the whole Jewish community. Oh, it's the Jewish people doing this. The Jewish people, horrible, horrible. So, let, so let's go back to the positive for a second. Where... Where do you, how, how, how do you put your passion for Israel in all of the amazing tech work you do? So I actually saw a video uh, last night um, from two, I guess, Israel advocates. Again, we both know them. Um, who, who did a video, you know, and you've seen many of these videos, but this was done really, really well. I'll send it to you afterwards, where it said something like, okay, five ways to boycott Israel, right? Here's what you need to do, right? And you've seen this, I'm sure, right? So, okay, so throw out your phone because, you know, the chip in the iPhone was built in Israel, right? Android, forget about it. It's all built here, right? You can't search. Just Google. When you Google something that says, uh, you know, when you make a type, but it says, did you mean this? That's developed here. So don't forget Google. You can't use Google, right? Uh, you know, Facebook, Meta, it's all built here, right? So you can't do anything. Okay, so forget tech. Put, put tech away. All right, throw out your phone, throw out your computer. Great. Medicine? Tab, I mean, it's all built here. Tavon, all these massive, you know. So, okay, so you can't do that. What about the food? Let's eat food. You know the biggest, the biggest, listen to this, the second biggest food tech ecosystem in the world, not per capita, in absolute numbers. The biggest in the world, meaning the ecosystem with the most food tech companies in the world is in America. 350 million people. Second one, Israel. Oh, wow. Nine million people. So, like, where you're talking about, you know, alternative meats, you're talking about artificial milk, you're talking about, you name it. It's all built here. So you can't use tech. You can't use, you know, medicine. You can't eat food. Like, it's all here. So, you know, uh, it's uh, tech. I'm, I'm not a tech guy. I'm an Israel guy. But Israeli tech is dominating across all sectors of technology. It's showing no signs of slowing down. You know, we're, we're billions and billions of dollars pouring into Israel from top-tier investors around the world. There's no such thing as a top-tier investor in Silicon Valley that's not set up shop in Israel. Every multinational is here. Google, Facebook, Microsoft, Amazon, they're all here. They're all building core elements of their experience here. Um, you know, the, the unicorns, what we call in the tech world, the billion-dollar companies are just, you know, there's, I, I don't know, 120, 130 of them in, in the entire EU. There's about 100 in Israel. It's wild, right? You look at the public companies, you know, and I'm putting aside for one second the, the current, you know, markets, which aren't sympathetic to anyone, but, you know, Israeli uh, uh, companies on NASDAQ, on Wall Street, I should say, cumulative value of about $300 billion. Like, you're talking about, again, look at Wall Street. Look at Wall Street. You have the, the country with the most companies on Wall Street is America. Right. Second one is China, right? It's 350 million people, then a billion and a half people. Number three is Israel, 9 billion people. It makes no sense, right? So really, no matter how you want to look at this ecosystem and what's going on here in Israeli tech, it's completely, I'm going to say biblical. It's, it's miraculous. There's no other way to look at it. So, you know, how do I connect those two things? How do, you can't disconnect them. It's one and the same, right? And I'm not going to imply that it's because, you know, because we're Jewish or our DNA. I don't, obviously, I don't think that's true. I'm not a bigot, but I do think that it's part of our, not our DNA, but part of our culture because, you know, we were always in survivor mode, Right. You know, people say like, you know, why don't you just like sit back and you can't sit back. Jews can't sit back and just chill. It doesn't We can't just sit on the beach and drink margaritas. Like we got to be in constant, you know. So I think, uh, you know, very high level, we always had to use our energy and our brains to survive. And now we're home. Not to belittle, God forbid, you know, the terror and things that are happening in this country. But at the end of the day, we're here. We've survived. And now we have this kind of quote unquote excess energy. What do we do with it? We're going to change the world. Right. Right. So now I want to touch upon, uh, upon your late brother, Ari, who you mentioned before, how you and Ari both, you, in your own way, you maximizing the tech to, to stand up for, for Israel and amplify the message of Israel to the world, and Ari in terms of standing up more on the, on the political aspect and standing up for IDF soldiers and helping in all those ways. And for those of you who are not familiar, Ari, one, was a close friend of mine. We went to high school, oh, we went to elementary school together, and we were neighbors, and our kids are friends. And uh, we worked together in standing up for Israel, and unfortunately he was murdered by a terrorist a little over four years ago. Um, so, and I know this is hard, so anything you don't want to answer, please feel, feel comfortable. I had four years to prepare, my friend. Four years to prepare. So listen, before, before Ari was horrifically murdered by, by the terrorist, those of us in the Jewish world who were, 
who were blessed to know your father, Rabbi Yonafold, and your mother, Mary Fold, and like he was my principal when I was in school with Ari, so we knew the the power of the Fold family and... Uh, and I'm and, the black sheep. <laughs> uh, the black sheep and how you do what you do. But yeah, no, th those of us who were familiar in the small Jewish world were familiar with, with the power and the Jewish values that, that emanated from them and from also your grandmother and grandparents. I know the stories from them. Uh, and then you were involved in what you were involved with, and Ari was involved with the, uh, Ari was involved with it. And then all of a sudden, with Ari's murder, the full name was everywhere. How? Because all of a sudden, all of a sudden, everyone heard about Ari, and then I'm sure many people were surprised. Wait a second, how many people knew about him and didn't know he was so influential and everything? How? Can you walk us walk us through that? Yes, first of all, when Ari was alive, he was Hillel's brother. It's like Ari, are you Hillel's brother? Now I'm Ari's brother, right? Unfortunate circumstances, but that's the reality. Um, yeah, so, you know, that, that day, as I'm sure it was for you, because, again, you were very close with Ari, was, um, for lack of a better term, I mean, we all use the word trauma. I don't think most people understand what that means, but, you know, I'm sitting at a startup's office, minding my own business, doing one of my, I don't know, whatever I was doing, and then I, in between tasks, I opened Ynet, right, Israeli leading, uh, Israeli news site, and, uh, and there was, you know, a terrorist attack, and it was a big play button, like there always is from surveillance video. And I'm like, what do you do when you hit it? When you see a big play button, you hit the play button, right? So I hit the play button. I'm watching, I watch this, this terrorist attack of this big dude and some little kid stabbing him in the back. This guy turns around, runs after him, gets down and shoots. jumps over a wall, shoot. I'm like, who is this Superman? Like, what is going on here? And so I asked in the Fold WhatsApp group, is everyone okay? Smiley face. And Donnie calls me and he goes, it's him. And I was like, it's him who? What are, you, what, are you, what are you talking about? I didn't even understand what he was saying. Unfortunately, I, you know, when we were kids, we used to burn CDs. Remember that? So those, it's him. Those words are burned on my brain forever. Uh, you know, that was full-blown. I mean, PTSD for sure. But like, uh, I guess one of the symptoms, quote unquote, of trauma is, on the one hand, that day, every I remember what socks I was wearing. Like I remember everything about that day. The next day, if you tell me I went to the Bahamas the next day, I believe you. I have zero recollection. Black, wow. just a complete block. I don't remember anything. Um, so yeah, that you know, that was. Just, I, I, mean, I, remember, I remember in the hospital, there's this, unfortunately, there's a room dedicated to families of terror victims when they get to the hospital for, you know. And so I remember sitting in that room, I remember coming in, my mom saying, it can't be. Can't, she kept repeating, it can't be. Like, just can't be. Ari was a fourth degree black belt. He was a beast of a dude. 16 year old kid taking him down. It doesn't make any sense, right? Um, so that was, you know, pretty much hell on earth. Um, and over the next four years, the, the, the legacy and the stories started to pour in. I mean, pretty much on a daily basis. I've, some of the stories that I've heard about Ari are just completely nuts. I mean, I had, a, had an African woman reach out to me from some village in who knows where. Hi, Hillel, my name is so-and-so. Can you get me out of here? I'm like, what? She goes, your brother said he'd get me out of here. I'm like, how did that transpire? I don't know what happened there, but I guess Ari gave this woman hope. I don't know. You know but, uh, but at the end of the day, um, I think, you know, he had a lot of legacies, right? But I think if I had to choose one, and it's such a trivial thing, or it should be such a trivial thing, Truth. Truth. It's so easy, right? But is it so easy? Like, I mean, I can't remember. Maybe you know you're a little older than me. Maybe, maybe you can think of another conflict or another historical event where truth played zero role. Meaning, forget opinions now, okay? To say we occupied an Arab-Palestinian state isn't, this isn't an opinion. Show me, what it was, show me when it was established. Tell me. Who was the prime minister and what was the national anthem? We occupied an Arab-Palestinian state. When? Tell me. Well, give me some information about the state that we occupied. It did not exist. Like, historically, fabrication did not happen. Does the world care? No. It, but it didn't exist. It doesn't matter. What do you mean, what do you mean it doesn't matter? We, we, you know, we shot into Gaza yesterday. How could you shoot into... What do you mean? They just fired a rocket. Fired a rocket. I don't want to hear about that stuff. What, what about truth? No truth. Why? Because the Jews are involved, right? Okay. So it's a crazy world. And Ari stood up for the truth. And, and you know, we talked about this off, off the camera, but... You know, sometimes truth is inconvenient, and you know better than I do, right? So sometimes you're like, ah, I don't want to say this because it's going to be misinterpreted, and maybe I shouldn't say this. And again, I gave you advice, and you're probably right, and I'm probably wrong. Maybe you should avoid certain things. The answer is, if you avoid certain things, then you're, you're no better than them. you gotta, you got to go all in on the truth, even if it's uncomfortable, right? Because the amount of truth that's uncomfortable today is it's insane, crazy. and it's only increasing, right? Yeah, I mean... A person's born a man. You say he's a man. You are a racist and a bigot and a you know misogynist. It's crazy, everything. right? So uh, you got to go all in on the truth. And I think that that's what Ari stood for. And I think he didn't have any tolerance for BS. He just did not accept it. Like, don't tell me 
that this happened because it did not happen. Well, of course it happened. No, it did not happen. The UN says it happened. UN can say whatever the hell they want. It didn't happen. Like, stop it. What, what do you mean Israel, the Nakba, right? The, the UN, uh, it's like, un, the UN is going to make the Nakba day, the, the disaster of the establishment of the state of Israel, an international day. Are you, are you for real? You're the UN. You gave the partition plan. You gave the Arabs a state. They didn't accept it and they attacked us. And it's our fault? That they... That, that, that they... Did not succeed in I mean, killing us. The epitome us. and the manifestation of lies in this world is the UN, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, maybe you could say, you know, in Judaism there's a concept of Tinok Shanishba, which is a person who's born into cap captivity. They don't know better. The UN knows better. The UN is the one that gave us the state and gave us the partition plan. They gave the Arabs a country, and the Arabs didn't accept it. So what are you lying about? They're lying. They're lying, they know they're lying, you know? The, one of these UN representatives yesterday, uh, you know, he wrote, I'm horrified by this attack of, or, what did he call it, uh, execution of an Israel. Dude, watch the video, the guy tried to steal his, what kind of soldier in the world would let a terrorist steal his weapon and not shoot him? But, but he cut out that part of the video, very deliberately. So, you know, some people lie because they don't know better. And I, you know, I'm gonna give them the benefit of the doubt. There are people that just don't know better. They know because they know what they know from CNN. They know what they know from the press. They don't know any, they don't know what Israeli, they don't know anybody, right? So those are the people that I think Ari targeted, meaning in a good way, right? In other words, he's not gonna convince, you know, when people would argue with him, I'd wake up, you know, at four o'clock in the morning, he'd be arguing with someone on, on, on Facebook, and I'm like, Ari, the guy's an anti-Semite. You're not gonna convince them, what are you doing? And his answer was, it's not about him. Right. It's about the thousand other people watching yeah. this conversation, right? So, you know, we're not, those people, and I get hundreds of them every day on Twitter, you know, they're, they're not listening. And, and forget about it. And something, sometimes, I, 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 you know, I should say, I'm, I'm weaker than Ari. I, I should engage with every single one of them, but I don't. I block many of them because I, I just, I can't. I don't, have the, I don't have the, I don't know, the stamina, I guess, right? But the truth is, there are millions of people out there, millions of people out there who simply, um, know what they know about Israel and the Jewish people from CNN. Yeah. Or the CNN, or the UN or resolutions. The New York Times. Right, or the or, New York, right, New York Times. Everything. So, so I think that those people need, you know, need to, to be told the truth. You know, and, and again, I'm not saying I'm going to convince them overnight, but there are people that, that are open to listening. And those people are the people that you need to talk to. You know, the people that are on our side, they're on our side. People that are against us, you're not going to convince them. But there are people on the fence, and, the, and you need to tell them the truth. And, and again, forget opinions. I don't, I, I'm literally not even talking about political opinions. But like, ass. just, I mean, do we, you know, the, the blockades, right? We're, we're occupying. We, we ethnically cleansed Gaza from Jews. There's not a single Jew in Gaza. So what happened? Well, let's give them land. Okay, let's, let's try this. Here, you're a scientist. Okay, what happens? You, you conduct an experiment in the lab. You see the results, and then you decide what's next, right? So, okay, we did that. Great. We conducted an experiment. We gave them land. Please establish a state. Here you go, the Palestinians. Another word that's a fabrication. Let's give them a state. We gave them a state. What'd they do? Do they establish a state? Do they want a state? Forget Gaza. Do they want a state? Very simple answer. Go look at their charter. Do they want a state? No, they do not. They say it. The Palestinian Authority, which you know was coined and established by Yasser Arafat, they're here so that Israel does not exist. That's their entire charter. Is their charter, we want you know, national? No, they want no Israel. They say it. So what does the world say? No, they don't mean it. What do you mean they don't mean it? From the river to the sea, they want no Israel. They don't want a state. They don't want us off their occupation. Come on. Truth is out the window. So Ari's like, enough of this crap. Like, I'm, I'm not going to, you know, because the world can accept any narrative they want. But the truth doesn't change. The truth is the truth, right? So I think that was his legacy. And I think that that's what made him so powerful and such a powerful voice. Uh, and just, you know, deeply, deeply passionate about Israel. Um, and I think that that, you know, mentioned my parents. Obviously, that came from my parents. My dad, you know, both my parents. My dad was a principal of a, of a very prestigious uh, private school in America that you went to. And, uh, you know, when I was in sixth grade, we came on a sabbatical. And in the contract, you know, he has, to be, he has to go back for three years to be principal, at least three years. Three, three years on the day, we're on a plane, right? So, you know, obviously Zionism's in our veins. Uh, but I, I often, you know, ponder uh, what would my grandmother in Auschwitz have said had she been told that her grandson would be a national hero of the state of Israel? Yeah. Like, how would she even digest that information, you know? It's crazy times we live in. Crazy yeah. times. Yeah. And it's interesting because another aspect that... Ari did, and I think you're doing as well with your work, it's the side benefit of standing up for the truth about Israel or with you st standing up and, and, and magnifying the unbelievable tech of, of Israel doing for humanity is the growth in the Jewish pride. 
in individuals, which, and I'm going to tie it in before, like Ari used to argue with the leftists and the anti-Israel haters, not to convince them, but in order, like you said, in order to get everyone watching the conversation to be able to say, oh yeah, oh my God, that guy's totally lying. And this guy's standing up for the truth. And that get, that, that gives them a little more Jewish pride. And like how, how I explain what I do also, because people always say, Avi, you're not going to convince people. You're not going to convince the Israel haters and the ones spreading the lies. And I always say, I'm... I'm not about I'm not about Kirif Rucholkim, right? I'm not about bringing people far away close. I'm about Kirif Krovin. Bring those who are close on the fence, our own family and last friends. Last mile. Last mile. Right. And even at the Shabbat table, even at the water cooler at work, that if the if the, the, the New York Times headline is Israel did this, then they're afraid of their shower, shadow and they can't stand up for the for, for Israel and for themselves. And I, and so what Ari's about, what Ari, it's about giving over that information, that factual information in a way that then they're they're more proud of who they are as Jews. And uh, so I mean, uh, this is a real, you know, pain point for me. Um, I recently wrote a post about um, assimilation. And I said something that I I can't verify, but someone told me a statistic which blew my mind, which is that if you, if Hitler had not killed 6 million Jews, we'd be the same number of Jews today which is just wow. unbelievable to think about. It's probably true. It's 80% assimilation today, right? So I wrote in this post, I said, we're killing ourselves faster than Hitler. Hitler could kill us. And so I got killed by, by typical, sure. you know, secular Israelis who basically said to me, are you telling me that if I marry a woman that I love because she's not part of the tribe, I'm worse than Hitler? I'm like, that's your conclusion? That's what you think I said? I didn't say that. I said, as a, as a nation, assimilation's killing our... They're like, what are you talking about? Like, if I marry someone, why does that make me less of a Jew? I'm like... Because it does. What, what do you, you're, you're a Jew who, who rejects Judaism? What, like what? And so to them, it's like, I'm a good person, so I'm a good Jew. I'm like, you're a good person. You could be a good Christian, too. Like, well, you're not a Jew because you're a good person. Being Jewish means something, right? It's, a, it's obviously a loaded and heated topic, but, right. you know, it's, it's always the Jews who, who are most ashamed and most embarrassed of, of who they are. Our identity. It's very sad. Right. So now I want to I turn it with a positive of something I just heard from of Shmuel Eliyahu, right? For those of you unfamiliar, of Shmuel Eliyahu is one of the, the major rabbis of the national religious community here in Israel today. And he was talking to, uh, to a whole audience of, uh, of pre-military academy students. My son was included and I was there listening. And he was telling me about going to the army, and of course, to, to it, it's, there's a holiness in standing up and defending the Jewish people, the land of Israel, and historically, right? He's going all that, and then he goes, and then I want you also to look differently upon all of the non-religious Israelis, because understand this: every single Jew in Israel today is only here because of the merit of his ancestors. Why? Because it means that their grandparents or great-grandparents or great-grandparents went through great trial and tribulation to remain connected to their Jewish identity despite all the pressures. So everyone here today, regardless of where they stand on the religious spectrum or standing up for Israel or whatever, but remember... They have that, we call, in Hebrew, we call it schut avot, right? The merit of their ancestors to be here because their ancestors stood up and did not leave the tribe. That's so a you're, you're a kinder man than me. What can I tell you? Because no, 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 no. I'll tell you the truth. It hurts me a lot. It really does. I feel like saying, and, you know, again, th this conversation specifically the other day was a guy I have tremendous respect for and admiration. He's a good friend. I love the guy. But he went at me hard. He's like, well, what's wrong with assimilation? What, what are you, like in the old, in the dark ages? What's wrong with you? I want to marry someone because I love them. Who cares what the, what the religion is? And I, I think to myself, like, dude, you, your great-grandfather, what he did to get, you know? And to make sure you'd be here today. Exactly. And like, you know, again, these guys, like we all do, again, he doesn't look in the history books. There was no such thing as a secular Jew back then. There was no such thing. There was only religious Jews. This is a new thing, you know. Obviously, conservative and conservatives gone in the ten years are finished. But like Reform Judaism, this is all modern, you know, secular Judaism. Believe, I'm a Jew who doesn't believe in Jew. that's a new phenomenon. And so, okay, I, you know what? I'm, again, I'm not judging anyone. These people were born into secular, you know, families. They don't know better. I get it. But be, you know, where's your integrity? Be a little honest with yourself. Look at history. You don't want to be religious. I'm not going to tell you what to do. But but don't pretend that you're the enlightened one. Dude, your grandfather had payas and a you know a shtetl and, and, and did everything to come to Israel and you're just like spitting in his face, you know? I know that's very politically incorrect. It hurts me. Uh, like it physically hurts me to, when I talk to these people who just are ashamed and embarrassed of their tradition. It's right. like, dude, come on, open your eyes. So I'm a big believer that th those exist. For sure those exist. I'm a big believer they are such a small minority of the Israeli population. Not small enough, but small, but small. 
And there was a post yesterday I just saw on Facebook, because in Israel today, uh, there's the whole, because of this new government and pe people are labeling, labeling them extremists, right? So without getting into politics, but on the educational perspective, all of a sudden you have mayors and educators and politicians saying that they're going to boycott all the new educational programs put up by this new government because it's about strengthening the Jewish identity and they don't want that, right? And for those unfamiliar, unfortunately, over the years, the left has been extremely stealth. The more anti-Jewish left has been extremely stealth in the education ministry, right? It's a government ministry of education where they've been diluting Jewish education, diluting to teaching about true... Uh, true Jewish values and instead teaching the progressive values and teaching more Christianity and Islam instead of Judaism and our, the own identity for the Jewish people. And there was one post yesterday of, a, of an Israeli secular woman and she wrote, I'm secular, but what I remember when I went to school, right, right, she's an adult, when I went to school, we studied the Bible, we studied the holidays, we studied Shabbat. She goes, and today I'm not secular. And I would not want my kids to go to a school in this country where they do not learn about their Jewish identity. And I truly believe a majority of the Israeli population, no matter where they are in the religious spectrum, they, they, they stand with that. They want some Jewish values, regardless of how they personally decide how to live their, their, their lives as Jews in Israel. But unfortunately, unfortunately, the, the more anti-Jewish uh, voices, they're a powerful voice. They're a powerful voice, and they know how politically how to use the, how to use the system and, and embed themselves in the system. Yeah, I mean, it's again, I, I, it's it's when I say it hurts me physically, I'm not kidding. Like I, I get sick sometimes from these things. Like I, I met with a, oh God, I met with an investor one time, a guy I really respect, like a really good guy, um, and for whatever reason, I made the mistake of talking about politics. This guy said to me with a straight face, he, he meant it, he wasn't kidding around. He said, I don't understand why we're here. Why are we not in Uganda? Wow. This is an Israeli, Israeli in Israel. Israeli Jew. Wow. Imagine. So if that's your view and you, you know, Ben-Gurion, this is the thing, right? Ben-Gurion, you know, in 1947, stood at the UN, pitched them on this concept called the Jewish state, what did he come with? Did he come with the Holocaust? Did he come with IDF? He came with Tanakh. Right, he came with the Bible. And, and Ben-Gurion was the, was the mother of secular people, right? But, but even he understood that our right to this land is the Torah. So if you throw out the Torah, meaning you're Jewish, but you throw out Judaism, then of course you're going to be a leftist. Why would I not give land for quote-unquote peace? Forget whether or not it's going to achieve that, but like, why would I not do everything in my power to, to, to get peace, even if it means giving away part of the land, because the land is just a land. In fact, why are we even here in the first place? It's a beautiful land. Oh, it's not. Go to California. It's more beautiful there. Like, yeah, okay. I'm not gonna, I love Israel, right? But like, objectively speaking, we have no natural resources, right? I mean, you know, half the country is desert. Like, go to Miami. If, if you're here because it's a beautiful country, then, you're, then get out of here, you know? Someone said to me yesterday, I just thought this was so brilliant, because when people say to you, Oh, you know, you made Aliyah from America. Well, what's, what's the response you get from Israelis like nine out of ten times? What do they say to you? Why? What the heck were you thinking? Yeah, right? Go back to America. So, so this is, I love this answer. I, I never know an answer to that. So two answers. You tell me which one you like better. When someone says to you, you came from America, what were you thinking? So say to them, well, get on a plane. Go, go to America. You can do it. You'll, you'll find, I think, that most people will be like, oh, I'm not leaving. It's like, well, why are you asking me, right? Or you could say, where are your ancestors from? Morocco? Go back to Morocco. What are you doing? Why do your ancestors come, right? Whichever answer it is, I mean, when, I, when people say that to me, I'm like, are you for real? Like, look around us. Are you kidding me? This is, you know, someone said, uh, you, you, can, you, can, uh, you can succeed in America despite being a Jew. In Israel, you can succeed because you're a Jew, right? Or, or another thing I quote all the time because I love it. Someone said to me recently, I moved to Israel not because I'm a Zionist, but because I'm a capitalist, right? Because this is where it's all going on, right? I mean, so, you know, I think it's never been better and, and something I quote all the time from my father, which... It's just, I mean, it is, if you remember one thing from this interview, remember this, because this yeah, is I know where you're going. I know it's which quote you're going unbelievable with. statistic. He said, you know, people say, you know, on Twitter, I get it every day. I'm like, what are you talking about? Israel's more dangerous. If you look, you know, my brother was murdered in a terrorist attack. I know the dangers of terror. Okay, don't preach to me, you know, but you got to take a step back and you got to look at the grand scheme of things, take a wider perspective. And the answer is, and this is, again, please go verify this. There has never been a 75-year period in the history of the Jewish people since the destruction of the temple where there have been so few Jews killed in the world. I mean, repeat that. There has never been a 75-year period there's so few Jews killed in the world. In other words, the Inquisition, the pogroms, the Holocaust, there was always something. And so, again, every life that's lost to terror is, is, is a horrible tragedy. It's an entire world. But in the grand scheme of things, this country is protecting us. I mean, 
you know, even if people are dying here, at the end of the day, how we protect ourselves, how we defend ourselves is up to us. Right. Whereas in America, we're, in the, we're at the mercy of them, and good luck with that. Right, and just to clarify for people to understand, you're not, when you're saying the state of Israel protects the Jewish people, Jews are safer, even where things are getting more unsafe by the day, yeah. Jews are safer all around the world, in America, in France, in Italy, in Spain, because there is a Jewish state of Israel. Because if there would be no Jewish state of Israel, the go. state of the Jews would be that much worse. Yeah, that 100%. much worse. Because, because again, like in the Holocaust, you know, the Jews had nowhere to go. Right. They came to America, they returned away at the borders. Right. So they'd know where to go. Now, you know, if, not if, but when, I should say, you know, it all hits the fan in America, it's already starting to. They can get up on a 10-hour flight and boom, they're in Israel. Right. You know, so, the, so when we say never again, as a kid, we always said never again. We said never again because it could never happen again. It never again because there's Israel. Right. If there wasn't Israel, you better believe it could happen again because right. look what's going on. I mean, what do you, you know, I just did an interview. It's, it's, again, this is Ari. I learned this from Ari. Like, guys, open your freaking eyes. I mean, you don't have to be a rocket scientist, okay? You got main pop icons going full-blown, not, you know, anti-Zionist or, or disguising, full-blown. I like the Nazis. This is a thing that happened. Like, if I told you three weeks ago, not 20 years ago, three weeks ago, that a person with hundreds of millions of followers and one of the most influential American artists ever would say the word publicly, with no shame, would say, I like Hitler and the Nazis did good things for the world. You would say, Hillel? Whatever it is you're smoking, stop smoking it. Like, you would never, but it happened, right? NBA players sharing, you know, links to full-blown antis. Netflix, Netflix, publishing a video showing Jewish-Israeli soldiers massacring a family with their baby and laughing and doing it for entertainment. If I had told you that would be published on Netflix three months ago, you would have been, you're nuts, that would never happen. And, and Saturday Night Live, normalizing anti-Semitism, where, like, what are you waiting for? What, what has to happen in America for Jews to be like, holy crap, I am out of here? What has to happen? What, like, anti-Semites in Congress? Done. Jews being beaten up in the streets? Done. What has to happen, you know? It's a crazy, crazy, you know, time right now, and, and I think that people have to open their eyes. I think this isn't a new thing, right? Every, throughout every generation, there were always the enlightened Jews, the assimilated Jews who thought, like, we're good. This morning, someone, someone wrote me, like, you're overreacting. America's safe for Jews. Safe for Jews? 60, like, this is, a, this is a number I can't even digest. 60% of hate crime in America Jews. targets Jews. And we're a tiny, tiny percent 60%. How could, you, how could you say in your right mind that America's safe for Jews? Like, what has to happen? Like, you know, and again, we, I'm sure you struggle. I struggled as a kid thinking, what the heck were the Jews thinking? Get that... Why are we, Nuremberg laws, legislation against Jews, and they stayed. Why did they stay? And the answer is, I didn't know. I didn't know my whole life. I didn't know the answer. Well, now I know. Yeah. Why are they staying now? Because they're comfortable. Because my mother is all, I, I, and again, I'm, I'm sounding like I'm ju judgmental. I'm not judging anyone. Okay, I understand that people have old elderly parents and their kids, and, and, and Israel's not, hard, not easy for them. They don't have Hebrew. There are many, many reasons, and I'm not judging anyone, but I think... Sometimes you need to open your eyes. You need to open your eyes and realize, holy cow, this is not where I should be building a life. This is not our home. That's it. And bringing that all together in terms of the people who are focused, oh, but there are terror attacks in Israel, and it's not as dangerous. It's, not, it's also dangerous in Israel, et cetera, et cetera. There's the other line that I like. I always put up on Holocaust Memorial Day, and it's like, the Holocaust is the price the Jewish people paid for not having our own state, right? Terror attacks and losses in the Israeli army are the pr is the price we pay yeah. for having our own state. That's an amazing quote. But is that you make that up? No, I don't remember. Because I don't remember. I also read that. It's an amazing thing, right? Yeah. The Holocaust happened as a result of us not having a, a state, having a home, and every life that's lost here is the price we pay for having a home. It's it's a very profound thought. I I, I also heard it recently. I love it. Yeah. But uh, yeah, you know, listen. I, I, the world has, in the last, I would say, two years, has the, the lack of morality, the lack of truth, the lack of integrity, the full-blown anti-Semitism has, has escalated exponentially. You know, in the last two years, I feel like it's gotten worse than it's gotten over the last 300 years. You know, I don't know, and I, I mean, I do know, I understand that, you know, we're, we're puppets, um, but it really is just the craziest thing, the things that are going on right now. You listen to these things that people say, and it's like, did you actually just this, say that? Is this really 2022? And, yeah, exactly. And, and I, I said to you before, you know, right now it's, oh, Kanye's crazy. He's nuts. He's meant, you know, 
That's the first stage. What's the next stage? Yeah. It might happen in a week, it might happen in a month, but eventually, and I'm not talking about five years, I'm talking about in the near future, what's gonna happen is the collective in America are gonna start waking up and saying, hold on a second. Actually, Kanye shared that graphic of how many of the leading CEOs and you know, politicians and influencers and, you know, or lobbyists in America are Jewish. Wait a second. He's actually right. Okay, it's not politically correct, but he's actually right. And then, forget it, then, we're, then it's game over. Because then, like, then it's nowhere. He's crazy. Then it's, let's just go all in. And then, then when it, that's when really bad stuff happens, yeah. you know? So it's, it's scary times. To end on a positive, first of all, I want to thank you for your time, Hillel. Thank and you. I hope everyone watching can uh, internalize so many of the powerful messages you're talking about. And, uh, and especially in terms of your passion, in terms of individually, how they can make a difference in their own lives and move forward regardless of their education or whatever but definitely to follow their passion. And then to end it all, ultimately, it's the message that Jews come home because it's home. It's a really good point. It is a good point because I, you know, I do, I, I've been writing a lot about this. And the one, I say, the one piece of pushback that I've gotten that I actually agree with is people don't need to make Aliyah because of fear. You know, that's not the right reason to move to Israel, and that's true. Uh, you gotta move to Israel because, I mean, when we were, when we were growing up, right, to, low, to, to make Aliyah, to move to Israel, to lower your quality of life, right? I mean, couldn't get tuna fish here. Forget orange juice, I mean, Tropicana. Couldn't get deodorant in this country. You had to import everything, Remember right? American week? 100%. There's one week where American products were sold I mean, in Israel. I mean, I mean, movies came here a year after America, right? Yeah. Electronics were, forget about it, right? Yeah. Those gaps have closed, yeah. right? I mean, yeah, okay, cars are still expensive here, but I mean... I, I forget spirituality. I'm, I'm literally forget God. Right. Put him aside for a Look at look at your life. I mean, I don't. I speak to my friends in the states, or investment bankers, lawyers, doctors. None of them are living materialistically better lives than me. I'm. I'm just, I, I, I feel. I wake up every day. I'm like, how is this our life? This is unbelievable. I walk out of my house. It's most beautiful. So you know, to move to Israel today, you know, and and I get it. People are worried about like livelihood, but I'm gonna I'm gonna go out on a limb here and say, if you're good at what you do and you're willing to work hard in this country, you can make more money here than you can there. I, I really do believe that. I know that's like, what? What did he just say? I, I, I believe that. You know, you know what I add to that? Because as I tell people all the time, the other thing is somehow when we're educated in America, you're going to go to school to be a, a, a lawyer or a doctor or an accountant, whatever, right? you start your own business. The, what I said, the godless of Israel, all right, or like a, a, greatness, a, a, a yes. greatness of Israel, is you can come here with whatever your education, whatever your, ex your work experience, and just the entrepreneur spirit that somehow is in the DNA in the air here, yeah. people are, come move here and they're doing things that they would have never imagined doing had they lived in America. You get into a cab in Tel Aviv, you start talking to the cab driver, you say, so how long have you been a cab driver? And he says, cab driver? This is my side gig, I have a startup. <laughs> it's like, everyone has startups here. And so it's true what you're saying. I think that, you know, what's one of the interesting kind of characteristics of the business sector in Israel is that there's no let's call it corporate hierarchy. What I mean by that is in Silicon Valley, good luck having lunch with Mark Zuckerberg. You, no matter how many strings you pull, you're not gonna, that's not gonna happen. In Israel, you wanna have lunch with the CEO of Wix? All right, it might take a week or two, but you'll get to him. You can get to anyone in this country. And, and, you know, you, you, and I can tell you, I'll tell you something beautiful that I once heard on a positive note. Uh, There's a, a big name in, in, in Silicon Valley in tech who, uh, who, had a, who, had a, uh, who had a platform competing with Reddit. Right? Reddit obviously won, and so they said to him, like, what was your biggest mistake? And he said something that I love. He said, I hired my team for skills and not for talent. Meaning, I hired a developer who could write a certain type of code. When that code became obsolete, the person became obsolete. What I should have done is hired talented people. And you said before I get people jobs, out of the maybe, I don't know, 500 plus jobs that I've gotten people, easily, probably more than this, but easily half of them did not have the skills. I said to the CEO, listen, you could hire for skills. I'll send you someone who's done it before, no problem. Or you could hire for talent. And I'm gonna send you this guy, does not have the skills. The most talented person, he will kick, like he will learn. He'll learn the skills. He'll, he, you can't acquire talent, you can acquire skills. And they hired him and the person, 99% of the cases ended up like dominating. I have a friend that literally was working in one field, wanted to work in marketing. And he was, I, I used to drive him to work every day. He would, he would cry with tears. He's like, I wanna get out of this field. I wanna work in marketing. I have no, I have no, no experience. And then a friend of mine I went to school with 30 years ago writes me and he says, I need a, a guy to manage my marketing for my diamond company. And I said to him, listen, I can hire, I can send you someone right now to hire who's done it before. 
Or I could send you someone who's unbelievable, but he's never worked a day in marketing in his life. He said, with that kind of endorsement, and he hired him, the guy ended up running the company. So I think, you know, th that's a very strong kind of principle in Israel where you, you could get hired, you could do things. Look at, look at Mike's, what have I done? Like, it's just like, again, it's, it's a joke. I'm not, I'm not belittling my abilities or what I've done, but at the end of the day, I love tech. I went all in on it. I ignored everyone. I built this career out of a thing that didn't even exist back then, yeah. right? So it's true. You could really do whatever you want in this country if you're good at what you do and if you work hard. Um, and I think if, you, if you're good at what you do and you work hard, you can make a very good living here. Um, you know, we say that Eretz Yisrael nikneis b'isur, and you have to suffer. Otherwise, you, so, you know, I don't know if suffering is the right word, but, you know, cars. That's my suffering, right? Because cars here cost the... But other than that, I think about it. Everything else is closed. I mean, I think electronics are the same price here, basically, you know, $50 more, whatever. Movies come at the same time. You know, you can buy everything here. You know, orange juice is better here than it is there now, you know? Um, cars, that's about it. But other than that, I mean, you don't have, you don't have to pay bazillion dollars for Jewish education here. Healthcare is free here. What, 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 what are we lacking here materialistically as compared to America? I would say nothing, absolutely nothing. I don't feel like I lowered my quality of life at all. I'm sure you don't feel that at all either. So now's the time, man. You come home. It's the place to be. I mean, we're having the best time here. We're living the dream. Amen. I couldn't end on a better note. Hillel, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for everything you're doing. Keep up with your passion for on, on all your different angles to, to inspire people. And if you are not inspired to come back home right now after this talk, dealing with everything, the good, the bad, the ugly, but when it comes down to it, we, the Jewish people, are a walking miracle, living in the miraculous, reborn Jewish state of Israel, the third Jewish commonwealth. If you're not making your plans yet to come home and you're Jewish, start making your plans. Come home. Don't ignore reality, but don't come to Israel because of that. That's the only if you're really have to. That's come home because you want to come home. The Makkah yeah. Hatish, yeah, yeah. right? That's the hammer on the, that's the last yeah. hammer on, on the nail. But we want you to come home because you want to be home living this miracle of the Jewish people back in our ancestral homeland. And now everyone, um, you like the video? Share the video. Signing off from the ancestral and eternal homelands of the Jewish people, this is Avi Abelow for another episode of Pulse of Israel. Today, not in the Judean hills, but in the beautiful hills of Beit Shemesh. Shalom, everyone. Thanks for watching. Pulse of Israel, frontline videos from the Holy Land. Support our work by donating today.